As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, good morning. So good to see you. You can be praying for Pastor Ron. He's preaching down at High Point St. Vincent this morning. In fact, he gave me an option. He said, would you rather go to the Caribbean or Naperville? And I said, Naperville. (laughs) Upon second thought, he did not ask my opinion on that. Hey, as we get going today, you know, some of the world's greatest inventions started out as the world's greatest failures. I mean, inventors and scientists with failure upon failure upon failure, and then mistakes and dead ends and roadblocks. And then some things come to fruition that they weren't even intending to invent. Here's the first one. It's actually penicillin. So penicillin was invented by a scientist named Sir Alexander Fleming. He was unsuccessful for years at trying to create what he was calling the wonder drug. And so he was trying to create this drug that would heal all these ailments and illnesses. And one day in a discarded Petri dish that he had in his laboratory, he discovered that there was this mold growing in this Petri dish. He began to explore what this mold was all about. And out of this discarded Petri dish, he discovered penicillin. That now is an antibiotic that all these years later, we're still using. How about this one? The microwave was actually a mistake. Do you know that? So this is in 1945. It was a self-taught engineer named Piercy Spencer. And he was on this project to uh, create this this radar project for a defense company. And so he's trying to solve this radar problem. He creates this thing called a magnetron. True story. As he's walking up to the magnetron, he had a chocolate candy bar in his pocket and noticed that it started to melt as he got closer to the magnetron. And such was the birth of the microwave. Okay, here's one more failed attempt at at an inventor that turned into something pretty special. It was actually the smoke detector. It it happened by mistake and through failure. So this was a 1930s uh, Swiss physicist. What he was trying to do is he was trying to create a sensor for poison gas. And so he's working on this project, trying to create the sensor. He decides to take a break. He takes a smoke break. As, true story, as he's taking a smoke break, the sensor goes off and he realized he had invented something called the smoke detector that now we have in all of our homes and all the buildings that we go into. And so some of the biggest failures that happen in life actually can produce a bright future. Here's a question for us as we get going today. How do we get back on track with what we'll call our divine destiny, our future, the things that God would have for us, even when we hit some roadblocks, even when we have some failures, even when we find ourselves in an area of sin, how can we get realigned with the divine destiny that God would have for us in our failures? That's what we're gonna talk about today. If you have a Bible, grab one or your phone or the High Point app, go to John chapter 21. We're continuing our series. It's called Resurrection Stories. It's called that because we're looking at these different people that had encounters with the risen Christ when he came back to life. And we're looking at the power that they experienced and the power that we can experience in this life. 
title of the message is simply Jesus and Peter because we're going to see a pretty interesting interaction between Jesus and Peter when Peter meets Jesus again for the first time post-resurrection. What I want to share with you today is five steps to reclaiming my divine destiny. Not just my destiny, not just my legacy, my divine, my God-given destiny. So we're in John chapter 21. We're starting in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus goes, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Why does Jesus keep asking me this? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What does that mean? We'll dig into it. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, he said to Peter, follow me. Here's the first step for us to reclaim our divine destiny, it's that we need to redefine my failure. Have you ever asked this question or been in this position where maybe you've made a decision to follow after Jesus, you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and yet I fail God and I fail him again and I I am messed up again and I sinned once again and you're back in the old patterns and you're wondering, well, what does God think about me now? How does God feel about me now back in this pattern of sin? Well, we're going to see some areas of sin that Peter found himself in. Now, it's really interesting. Don't miss it in verse four. It's pretty important. He starts this conversation, sorry, verse 15. He starts this conversation with with four really simple words. Simon, son of John. Now, this is important because Peter's name was Simon. We see in the Bible, we see him called Simon. We see him called Peter. We see him called Simon Peter, all the same person. When Simon met Jesus three years before this interaction, Jesus gave him a nickname of sorts. He renamed him Peter or Simon Peter. He gave him a new name. We see new names given quite a bit throughout scripture. So why is it important here? Because the first time that Jesus interacts with Peter post-resurrection, he calls him by his old name. He calls him by the name that he had in his old way of life. He calls him Simon, son of John. You see, Simon, before he met Jesus, he was just a fisherman. He's just an ordinary guy running a family business. Simon was a guy that got transformed into Peter by Jesus. Simon was a guy that you know, this was before walking on water and announcing Jesus as the Christ and before seeing Jesus do millions of miracles and before seeing Jesus for hours and hours preach the gospel was just this guy named Simon. And so don't miss it. First time he sees him, Jesus is back from the dead. He doesn't go, hey, Peter. He goes, hey, Simon. So what's happening? 
Well, this is only a few days after Jesus dies. These guys had spent three years with Jesus. And so Jesus is dead. You can literally go back in, in, in verse three. It's a little humorous. Simon goes, well, I'm gonna go fishing. And he brings some other disciples with him. And within just days of the death of Jesus, and by the way, Jesus foretold what was gonna happen here. They weren't totally blind. They're like, well, I guess we're just gonna go back to the old way of doing things. Let's just go be fishermen again. Let's just do life the way that we used to do life as if we never had this encounter with Jesus. And so Peter just reverted back to his old ways. He reverted back to his old life. And so Jesus sees him. He, he actually encounters him for the first time post-resurrection with him out fishing. Hey, Simon, seems like you're kind of living that life the way that you used to live it. But Peter's not alone. You and I do the same thing in our lives. We have some sin, we betray Jesus, we do some things that don't please Jesus. And what that does is it brings some shame and it brings some guilt onto our life. And in our guilt and in our shame, we have a tendency to recoil and revert back to the ways that we used to live. One of the scriptures that's so comforting to me is in Romans chapter seven. We'll put it up on the screen, but I'll paraphrase it for you. And it comforts me because even, even Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, goes, I, I keep doing what I do not want to do, and I do not do what I want to do. It's comforting to me because I'm like, well, that's how I feel most of the time. Anybody with me? Why do I keep doing the thing? I don't want to do it. Why can't my intentions and my actions catch up with one another? And I do not do what I want to do. You see, it's just in our sinful nature that we revert back to some things even when our intentions are focused on God. So yeah, don't miss this, how Jesus interacts with Peter because this is how he treats you and how he treats me. He doesn't distance himself with Peter. He goes to Peter even when Peter had failed him. And he, he, I, I almost think, I'm embellishing here, but, but that Jesus goes up to Simon and is like, hey man, I've been gone like three days. Like, what? You, that's all it took for you to forget about me and the plans that I have? Here's the amazing thing though. He isn't ignoring our rebellious sin, but he's also not withholding his amazing grace. And that, that's what he did to Peter and that's what he's doing to me. That's what he's doing for you. See, Jesus doesn't come in and he doesn't just turn, turn a blind eye and be like, ah. No, he, he acknowledges the sin when we turn away from him and he also extends us grace. It's a beautiful picture. So we need to redefine our failure if we're gonna get this divine destiny that God would have for us. Here's another step though. We need to restore my purpose. Who are in the room today? Who are the awkward conversationalists. You know who you are in the lobby. I'm kind of one of them too. It's like all of you online right now are probably the awkward conversationalists because you didn't even want to come and see other people in this room today. Okay, so this is an awkward conversation that they're about to have. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I mean, I, I love you. No, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I just said it. Peter kind of reminds me of like a grumpy old man 
in his marriage. You know, his wife's like, do you love me? It's like, yeah, I told you 50 years ago at the altar, you know? <laughs> like you put the, you know, she puts the dress on and it's like, hey, does this look good? And he doesn't even look. He's like, yeah, it looks good. Let's go. Peter, do you, do, you, do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, 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 Jesus, I love you. Well, then tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus didn't have a hearing problem, I'm pretty sure. So what, what is happening here? Why does he keep asking this repetitively? Because I think what Jesus is saying is, is you can say, I love you, Feed my sheep. Show me. Do something about it. Yeah, yeah, of course I love you, Jesus. Great. Tend my lambs. Put it into action. Don't just say the words. And as we dive into this text, and maybe you've read this text before, but I think it's a convicting one for you and me that we wouldn't just be so prone to say, yeah, of course I love Jesus. What if we played the game tape back of the last month of our lives? Do our actions, the way we live, the way that we interact with people, does it demonstrate that we have a love for Jesus in our life? And so what Jesus is doing here with Peter is I think he's expressing the weight and the urgency of actions over words. Words are good. Actions prove if the words are true. So it's interesting, three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Do you remember what happened right before Jesus died? Jesus said that somebody would betray him. Said before the rooster crows three times, you will betray me, and that was Peter. That we see this massive betrayal, this massive failure on Peter's part. And by the way, it was contrary to the words that he had spoken previously. Jot this down. John 13, 37. Peter claimed that he was willing to die for Jesus. And then he cowardly abandoned him when Jesus went to the cross, when he was crucified. Jot down Mark 14, 29. Peter promised that when everyone else would desert him, that he alone would stand with him. He said, even though they all fall away, I, Jesus, will not. And then what did he do? The moment the pressure was on, the Roman guards are going after Jesus, they're going to crucify Jesus. Peter goes, I don't know that guy. And he betrays him. He fails him. The things that he said would be true, he didn't follow up in his actions. So I don't think it's a mistake that three times Jesus goes, think about it this time. Do you love me? Just think about it another time. Do you love me? I mean, think about it for a moment. How would you and I respond in these moments from a human perspective if we were Jesus in that moment? I know I at least have a tendency when there's past failures and there's present hurt, how would I probably go and interact with Simon Peter? Well, I'd probably start with my, the past failure, the, the betrayal that he had. How could you do that to me, Peter? How, how could you leave me like that? Jesus didn't do that. Or, you, or he'd go to the present hurt and I would probably say something like, so what are you gonna do to make it up to me? Jesus didn't say that. 
What was Jesus doing? Jesus was restoring Peter for a future purpose. Amen? Whole thought of this message in this passage is this. Regardless of your past, regardless of the number of times you've turned your back on Jesus, regardless of the amount of sin, regardless of the choices that you've made, Jesus wants to restore you for the purpose of your future. He wants to use you for a divine destiny, a plan that he has for you. I remember years ago, Sarah and I were leading a growth group here at High Point Naperville. And uh, you know those moments in life where you're like, if I don't get this out of me right now, it's just gonna like eat me alive, the things that we hold inside. And we've been in this group for a while, so we, we knew uh, all the couples pretty well. They were in the group, and one guy, the group was over, and he pulled me aside, and he's like, I just, gotta, I just have to say this. And he hadn't talked to his wife yet, but he was like, I, I've like squandered everything away. I haven't told her. I've been lying to her. I said I was going on business trips. I was going on golf trips. I was gambling. I was doing, and I, I mean, we're in debt. And the reason I'm sharing that story uh, one is that they beautifully restored things in their marriage, but he came and he was broken and he confessed and they began talking. And the reason I share the story is the way that his wife responded, which was remarkable to me. She didn't ignore his sin. She didn't do that. However, she also didn't make him sit in his shame as he came and confessed. She, she, she didn't just turn the other way and she brought truth and grace simultaneously to the situation. Was it hard? Yes. Did they have to go through a lot? Yes. But, but his wife responded the way that, that Jesus did. It, it, it wasn't throwing shame on the past failures. It, it wasn't asking, how are you going to make restitution for me in this situation, even though she could have, and it probably would have been justified. What she was doing was she was doing this. She restored his purpose as a husband and father for the future and gave, gave him a vision of what his future could look like. Hey, do you love me? Well, then show it. That's how I know you love me. Do you really love our kids and our family? Yeah, I, I do. then provide for us. Care for us. Show me. And so our words and our actions they can be two separate things. So this divine destiny, we're trying to reclaim our divine destiny, the future hope that God would have for you, regardless of your past failures. We need to redefine my failure and restore my purpose, but then reimagine my future. So look what Jesus says to Peter here in verse 18. This is a confusing verse, so stick with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, okay? But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and will carry you where you do not want to go. I love that the author of this book was like, they're not gonna get what that means. So he adds in like a little commentary just to clarify it. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So Jesus is giving Peter a future picture of what his life's going to look like, but actually his life is going to be marked by sacrifice and surrender. Even though the ultimate goal is to glorify God, it's going to come with surrender, it's going to come with sacrifice. 
Remember, he foreshadowed him before. He goes, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, 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 I would never do that. He did it. Now again, he's foreshadowing what's going on, that Peter is going to live a life of sacrifice, a life of surrender. We'll unpack what this means in just a minute. But I wonder if you have a story like Simon Peter does. I know I do. It goes like this. Chapter one, I don't know Jesus at all. Chapter two, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I go, God, I'll, I'll do anything for you. Chapter three, fail. Take a step back. Man, I, I just thought this whole Christian living thing would just be one foot in front of the other growing every day. Fail. I sinned again. I got back into that pattern of sin I didn't want to get into. Chapter four, how will you respond in the midst of failure? Will you run back to the old way of life like Simon did? How do you think he felt? Jesus just got crucified. I told him I would go with him to his death. And then I chickened out. C.S. Lewis has an interesting story. Many of you might not know, but he actually grew up in the church proclaiming Jesus. And then he turned away. He walked away from God as a scholar and intellectual it wasn't then again until his 30s when he realized the most intellectually satisfying and realistic understanding of how to explain this world was revealed in this book through Jesus. And so in his 30s, C.S. Lewis came back into a relationship with Jesus. But when I'm talking about everything being up and to the right, we realize that sometimes in order for our faith to move forward, anybody want your faith to move forward? Okay, be careful about what I'm going to say next then. In order to, for our faith to move forward, often what needs to happen is there needs to be a remodeling and in fact, at times, a demolition within ourselves, within our own hearts and our own lives. That some walls need to be torn down. That, that the room might even need to be gutted at times for God to rebuild the things that he wants to build. Look what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace and he intends to come and to live in it himself. I remember when Sarah and I, this is just a year and a half, two years ago, we were remodeling our our kitchen. And this was like, a, this was like a gut, like down to the drywalls, the old original kitchen was out and all that. And I remember one night, I mean, this is months and months and months. The kitchen's a fairly important room in the home, right? And so after we're like two months in to eating in our garage, cooking macaroni and cheese on a hot plate and microwaving that we look at each other and we're like, what are we doing? 
Like, what did we get ourselves into? And we're so deep into it, we can't turn back. And what are we, you know? And by the way, we're spending like all this time and all this money so we can eat macaroni and cheese out of a garage. And, and, and in the presence of that moment, in the rebuilding of the house, in the rebuilding of your soul, it can feel violent. It can feel like a demolition going on in your life. Until today, when we look back, and as a family, we sit around a kitchen table and we cook a meal together and we make memories together and we go, oh, that was so worth it. And that's the same thing that God is doing in your and my life. When you're in the present of the rebuilding, of God creating a new version of you, you know the good news is? You know you get like a new model of you over and over and over again? Like every month, every year, every decade, it's like, hey, here's a new version, a new model, if we're willing to submit ourselves to the renovation that God wants to do in our lives. And so you and I are living in a constant remodel. God is seeking to tear some things out, even when it's painful, so that he can rebuild some new things into your life. Why? Well, for Peter, Jesus knew that he was going to have a great spiritual legacy. We spent a bunch of time beating up on Peter and going back to Simon and being his own life, but Jesus had great plans for Peter, and Peter abided in them. So what happened to Peter from the time of this interaction with Jesus. So he went on for the next 30 years proclaiming the word of Jesus, living faithfully to Jesus. Church history will record for us that 30 years after this, uh, after this interaction, that Peter became a martyr. He was crucified and killed for his faith because he was unwilling to not deny Jesus. The same guy who denied Jesus when he went to the cross died, by the way, via crucifixion, upside down, because Peter said, I am not worthy to die the same death as my Lord. And so he requested to be crucified upside down as he would not deny who Jesus was. You see, all of his failures, all the times he turned his back on Jesus, all the times he messed up, all the times he just didn't get it. God had a bigger plan for the divine destiny of Peter, that he was going to use him to do great and mighty things for the kingdom. And can I remind you today, whatever you've, wherever you've been, whatever you've gone through, whatever sin you have, maybe right now in this present moment, the decisions you made last night and last week and over the last month, and you're saying, I'm not even sure if Jesus wants me to follow him. Remember the last two words of this text, he just looks at Peter and goes, follow me. That regardless of your past or even your present, that God has a future that he wants for you. Look what Luke 9 says. And he said to all, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will save it. Two more steps to reclaim our divine destiny. It's to realign my calling. So Jesus says these familiar words in verse 19, follow me. This isn't the first time Peter had heard these words. He had heard them multiple times, but the first time he heard it was three years ago when he first met Jesus and Jesus goes, follow me. 
I don't think it's a mistake that here, as Jesus now has resurrected from the dead, his first interaction with Simon Peter, he goes, follow me. His first response wasn't so much as an invitation as it was a calling for Peter. These are the plans that I have for you. Follow me. So now Peter went back to his own ways and Jesus is saying yet again, follow me. I don't know how many times you've betrayed Jesus. I've done it many, many times. But whether it's three times or 30 times or 300 times or 3,000 times, Jesus always comes back and he says, follow me. So let's just do a quick Bible study. I'm gonna move fast, but you're gonna wanna jot these down. What really makes a Jesus follower? We throw these words out all the time, like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, we talked about it not just being our words, yes, I love you, but our actions, how we behave. These are the marks of a Jesus follower. How do we behave as a Christian? Here's the first mark, is it's a life of surrender. Followers of Jesus leave for him. Leave what? Well, leave their old ways and leave, the, leave their old patterns and leave their own way of life. Mark 8, this is the same text, if we go back to that, is the parallel text, the one we just read in Mark. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Then we see worship as a mark. Not just the thing we do at the beginning of the service, singing, but, the, but that we would worship God in how we live our life. Followers of Jesus are looking towards Jesus at all times. This is actually a hallmark verse for our worship ministry here at High Point, but the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Lowercase s, not talking about the Holy Spirit, it's talking about your spirit, your mind, your emotions, your will, your soul, your spirit, that with my whole heart and truth, why? For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Take a little inventory as we go through these. How are we doing in the area of being fully surrendered? How are we doing in the area of worshiping God? How are we doing in the area of service for God? Followers of Jesus live like him. Here at High Point, we say it all the time that what do we exist to do? Well, we all together as a community want to believe in Jesus, belong to Jesus, and become like Jesus. This is our become verse at High Point. Mark 10, 45, that even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It's a marker of a true Jesus follower. Two more, dependence on Jesus. Followers of Jesus lean on him. Let me slow down for just a moment because I'm sure in a room of this size and with people watching online, there's some that came in today with such burdens on your heart and such difficulty. And hey, I don't need to hear one more message about all this sin and turn. Yeah, I know I've turned my back. One of the greatest things we can do in our relationship with Jesus is to lean into him. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? Rest. Anybody up for a little more rest in their life? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See how gentle it is with Jesus? For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That idea of a yoke, it's 
put it on cattle and two cattle to tie them together to pull a cart. Jesus is saying, literally, tether, be tethered to me. That's where you find the rest. Yeah, but I got so much to do and so much to get done and I got to build this business. I got to do this thing and I got to run here and I got to do that. If we're looking for the rest and the peace and the calm of life, it's only found in Jesus. And so genuine Jesus followers, they're, they're yoked to their Savior, moving about in life tethered together. It's a final mark of a Jesus follower. It's simply love. Followers of Jesus love like him. A, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's a tall order. You also are to love those you like. No, it doesn't say that. Oh, you're to love those who think the same way you do. You are to love those who you prefer to spend time with. You are to love one another. How will they know that we're Jesus followers? They will know us by our love. I love you, Jesus. But are we living that love out? Of course I love Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm all in. I read my Bible every day. Awesome. Peter was struggling to understand that Jesus was saying, hey, you can't just say you love me. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, love one another, serve one another. As the worship team comes, if we can just put a summary slide up of this. I hear this a lot and I've said it myself. Like, what's my calling in life? This whole divine destiny thing. I mean, this would be awesome if I just understood my calling. I just gave you your calling in life. If we live this way, this is how we are called to live. No, 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 no. I want to know where the X on the map is. I mean, should I take that job or not take that job? Marry that person or not marry that person? Fine questions. But if you really want to know the X on the map, this is the X on the map. And if you've been searching for a calling and for a destiny and not doing these things, you're not going to find it. But here's what's interesting. I think it was true of Peter. I know it's been true of me. That when we live this way as a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden the discernment and the wisdom that you need to make the day-to-day -day decisions of life all of a sudden surfaces. This is your calling. Last step is just to refocus my attention. I didn't read these verses earlier, but we'll put them up. I find them kind of comical, to be honest. Look what happens to Peter next. Just, just remember the outline here. Uh, a guy named Simon meets Jesus three years ago, follows him, learns from him, then denies Jesus, betrays him before Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus died, is buried, raises again. Jesus comes back, finding him back to his old ways. Says, follow me yet again. 
And then look what Peter does immediately. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved. We don't know for sure, but we think that's probably John. Peter, James, and John were the closest. Multiple times we see scripture talk about the, the one that Jesus loved. So he's following them. And one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. So they're talking about the last supper. Okay, then look. And he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And Peter saw him. He, he said to Jesus, Lord, well, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Here's what's happening. Peter is like, okay, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll follow you. Got it. Hey, look, what about John? Right, what's he going to do? <laughs> what is it to you? <laughs> you follow me. Did you not get the memo? Don't worry about what John, I have a calling for John's life. I have a destiny for John. I will deal with John. You follow me. Do you know what's a lot easier than addressing our own spiritual condition and the things that God wants to remodel in our life? Pointing out the things that we think God should remodel in other people's lives. What does John need to do? Does John need to die on your behalf? Is, is that John's destiny? What is that to you? Will you follow me? So Peter gets this spiritual ADD in the moment. <laughs> Immediately after saying, and we laugh, but we do it. <laughs> Immediately after saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Yes, I'll follow you. Let's stand together as we respond. Jesus isn't just a checklist going throughout our week. I got some Jesus time. I went to church. I did the things. Jesus is the list. It's perhaps one of the greatest questions that every human being this walk this earth, earth has likely asked, what's my calling? What's my legacy? What's my destiny? That was a long message to say two words. Follow me. I get distracted, but follow me. Well, I'm not quite sure what it is. Follow me that we would proclaim him with our lips, but we would live out following after Jesus. And when we follow after Jesus, everything else will fade away and everything else will come into alignment as God sees fit. Let's sing together as we respond.